My next guest is the Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Please welcome Angela Johnson. Angela, how's it going? Going great. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Appreciate it. No, thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited. This is awesome. <laughs> thank you. All right. So let's jump right into it. What do you do? That's a great question because if you ask anyone in my family, they would not be able to answer it. <laughs> Even though I've been trying to explain it for years. So step back. So basically what I do, I'm a senior vice president for a real estate investment firm covering our client relationships. So the title is SUP of Investor Relations. And what that really means is the bulk of our clients are institutional investors, such as large public pension plans, who manage the retirements of public sector employees, like teachers, firefighters, policemen and women, people who work really hard, contribute amounts of money every paycheck with the expectation that that money will grow and be in a plan that they can tap into later on so that they can retire. So that's the bulk of our client base, public pension plans, corporations like the big names that you've heard, the Verizon of the world or Apples of the world, they have pension plans as well, insurance companies, endowments and foundations for the various universities we've heard about, you name it, most of these organizations have pension plans as well as family offices. And what that means is a lot of times you have entrepreneurs who've had incredible success with their business or an idea. And once they have a monetization event, what they'll do is they want to establish a legacy of some sort and they'll create either a single family office where they go out and make additional investments or they'll partner with other families, which is what's called a multifamily office. And they will aggregate their capital together to evaluate opportunities and invest in firms like mine. We call those our high net worth individuals. So the combination of institutional investors, high net worth investors, those are the groups that I cover. These are all sophisticated investors who are looking for ways to allocate the capital so at the end of the day, they can meet whatever the return requirements are for their specific plan. And the industry has become very regulated post-global financial crisis to the degree where you only have accredited investors in these categories of what I call the institutional investors because you need to understand the nuances of all of these products because a lot of them are very complicated. Um, so that's kind of the broad context. In terms of myself, I have relationships with these types of investors across the U.S. as well as in Europe and Australia. And so I'll back up just a few minutes and explain and provide some context. The bulk of these investors are evaluating what we call third-party fund investments. So they're indirect investments. They're looking for funds or investment vehicles that can achieve whatever the goal is for their investment plan. And typically that is, like I said, I'll focus on the public plans to meet the retirement needs of their beneficiaries. And so what we're doing is we're trying to figure out what are the risks associated with that particular plan? A lot of them have established investment guidelines. We have typically an investment committee, a board of trustees, who sometimes works in, in conjunction with the investment consultant to establish whatever the investment parameters are or the asset allocation 
for that particular investment plan. And then they leverage the investment staff to go out and execute on that plan. So there's an asset allocation, and then there's a pacing plan in terms of how that capital will be deployed over time. And what I do is I typically interface with the investment staff. So what I've done is I will go in and I try to understand as best as possible what the plan is trying to achieve, what is their goals, and then have to take a step back and try to assess whether or not the platform that I'm representing can actually help the plan achieve their goals. And if that is the case, the next step is structuring an investment vehicle that can facilitate getting that capital from that pension plan into the investment platform. And in my career, we could talk a little bit about it, but I've spent the bulk of my career in the commercial real estate space. So depending on the type of firm that you're working with and the type of investor, it will require a lot of different structuring requirements specific to the regulatory environment, depending on the type of investor you have within the U.S. Like I said, I cover non-U.S. investors as well. So there are a lot of regulatory restrictions leave the U.S. There are tax considerations and implications. And in a period like today where there's heightened awareness around various social issues, there are a lot of other requirements related to what we call ESG, environmental, social, and governance policies that have to be taken into consideration as well when these plans are evaluating a potential investment. And so it's my job to understand all of those nuances in the connection in, in, in the broader spectrum of getting the capital to my investment team who has these brilliant ideas, ensuring that it is a suitable fit for the plan, but also making sure that the returns generated by the underlying commercial real estate assets can get the most efficient return back to the end client who is that institutional investor. And in terms of the fund that I work for now, I've spent the bulk of my career in the real estate private equity space. Over the last couple of years, I've moved into the real estate debt space, Mm. where we are theoretically in a more protected position within the capital stack. Um, And when you're considering which groups to go out and talk to, you have to understand where your strategy fits within their allocation plan. So most groups follow a typical allocation across public equities, fixed income strategies. Some are large enough to have a dedicated real estate sleeve, whereas mm-hmm. others will roll up alternatives, which will include private equity, hedge funds, venture capital, infrastructure, and real estate. Those are looking to provide higher risk-adjusted returns and diversification benefits within your broader portfolio. So it's my job to understand where, and we joke and say real estate debt really has no home because it can fit in a lot of different places mm-hmm. across different buckets. So it's, it's constantly problem-solving try to figure out where our strategy fits the best for the particular client. Okay. Well, it seems like you wear a lot of hats or definitely have a lot of different responsibilities. Now, now based on your pension fund clients and what you do, can you talk about your work in trying to structure something for these clients? I'm guessing with them, there's certain requirements and regulations on what they can and what they cannot invest in and the risk profile of it. So, can you kind of go through a certain scenario on, on how that works where you're working with them to try and structure what can fall into those certain requirements so that they can invest in it? Yeah, so with the pension plans in the US, it's pretty straightforward. Typically speaking, you'll look to see 
if it is a real estate allocation, if they have a mandate for real estate debt. A lot of pension plans do not, many do. And within that bucket, typically the real estate bucket is allocated across core, which is your least risky investments in commercial real estate. When I say commercial real estate, we're talking about office assets, industrial assets, multifamily assets, so not homes, not single family homes, multifamily like apartment buildings and retail assets and sometimes hospitality. And then you have other niche asset classes, but that's really what I'm talking about. And so in the core space, those are your lower returning investments where the bulk of the return is coming purely from rents. The assets are already rented out to tenants and that rent is effectively after property taxes and operating expenses and other necessities are paid. That NOI eventually rolls up and gets distributed directly to pension plan through what we called either a closed-in vehicle or an open-in vehicle. There are a lot of other nuances. There are separate accounts that have a lot more direct control by the pension plan in terms of what they're investing in. But typically, those are the typical vehicles that these plans will utilize. And there are various degrees of discretion that can be provided. So sometimes, and in the majority of the case, it's a blind pool fund where the manager has all of the discretion. And so within the guidelines of that pension plan, or once the contract, they will call the investment management agreement is established, we have these guidelines of what we can invest in. And as long as the property meets those guidelines, the manager has the discretion to go and make those investments. And they have to maintain that compliance. There are instances like what you're referencing, where a pension plan may say that I can't invest in hotels um, or if you're looking at other parts of the world for social reasons or religious reasons, you can't invest in any properties that serve alcohol. Or within the U.S., you can't invest in any kind of assets that sell firearms. So that would be a lot of you know, Walmarts of the world, things of that nature. And so there, in those instances, you could take two approaches, which are you would create a carve-out for that fund where in a scenario where a particular investment triggers the restrictions for that particular client, that allocation would not be allocated to that particular client. Okay. And so then the allocation would then go on a pro rata basis to all the other clients who do not have restrictions. So that's one way to handle it. That's a pretty straightforward way, assuming everyone in the fund doesn't have the same restriction, because you probably shouldn't be making the investment as the investment manager in that case. Or the other approach, and a very common approach for larger clients, is to look at a separate account and within that separate account, you can share the varying degrees of discretion between the pension plan and the investment manager. So I can come to you with a particular deal. And if you have discretion, sometimes they say discretion within a box, you can say this fits the mandate, but I don't really like it. And you have maybe five to 10 days to veto the particular deal. That way, that type of structure provides a lot more control to the pension plan to have visibility into what they're actually investing in. So that's just a very simplistic way of thinking about how you would structure it. And there's a lot of legal documentation surrounding these agreements as well as you can imagine. Okay. Now, just hearing all this, you definitely have to have a great understanding of your finance and real estate concepts, tax in U.S. and outside of the U.S., your different government policies, like you mentioned. You have to be able to speak about this to your public company, your, your pension funds, your corporates, your high net worth individuals, like you said, and even I'm guessing also sell side research. And so with all that, how did you get to this point? 
how were you able to attain all this knowledge? What did you do? What are your steps that you took to get to where you are? Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you ask because I kind of, I don't know, I, it feels like I kind of fell into it. Hmm. So I started out with a very strong desire to learn finance. Mm -hmm. I went and did the typical investment banking analyst position at Merrill Lynch. I got a really solid understanding of corporate finance and capital markets and how that all works. How does the move? How does the money get to the companies? And through that process, I bought my first investment property actually in Texas, even though I lived in New York. And that's just because I couldn't afford anything. (laughs) And I couldn't think how much uh, real estate, how much rent was in New York City. So I bought investment property and through that process I started to learn the basics of real estate investing at a very very granular level Mm. but it intrigued me and I really enjoyed it I like that idea of you know I'm building my financial models about companies during the day and then I'm building my little excel models about my little property at home at night and that was intriguing to me so I wanted to figure out how do I take that to the next level and so I transitioned from the financial institutions group into the global principal investment groups at Merrill, where they actually invested in commercial real estate properties from the Merrill Lynch balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first foray into really understanding real estate finance and how that works. I was introduced to what is called now RLJ Lodging Trust to really learn one asset class really well, and that was the hotel space. And I would recommend that for anyone that you either go to a shop where you can get really, really strong analytical training, or you go to a place where you can learn the entire industry around a particular asset class incredibly well. And so those are the things that gave me kind of the building blocks that I needed to know that I really loved the real estate industry and it was a space that I wanted to stay in. I just wanted to explore other alternatives. And so then I went and got an MBA from Harvard Business School, which never in a million years did I ever think would be possible. But boss who believed in me and she really she, she made me believe that I could get in and thrive and do well there and, and I did and I'm forever grateful for that guidance but what that really did was helped me with establishing my critical thinking and, and strategic thinking skills really helped solidify a network really helped me in, in particular get more international experience because through my summer internship program I worked for a real estate developer based in London and I have tons of hilarious stories about that experience because I've never even been to Europe before so I I didn't know anything about working internationally but I learned myself is you just have to step outside of your comfort zone because you'll learn so much and it's okay to fail it's okay to make mistakes it's okay to have embarrassing moments but from there I realized that you know I really like real estate as the world was falling apart and I came back to the real estate private equity fund I was with before business school by nature, by definition of the world falling apart and our investors calling all the time to try to understand what was going on with the investments because I'd worked on the investments beforehand. It was a small boutique firm, so I got to touch every aspect. I was fielding a lot of those calls, talking to the investors, filling out their requests, their questionnaires. And I realized that I really liked interfacing with the investors and I liked the fact that I could speak to it at a very granular level to what was going on, or I could speak at a very high level mm-hmm. about what was going on. And what I didn't realize was I was learning how the investor relations role works, which is your job is to meet the investor where they are and provide the information they need to make decisions that are really critical for their ultimate investors. So that's kind of how I learned and how I got into that IR role. From there, I won't belabor all of my positions, but then I started to have more international experience. I worked for a London-based firm, and then I worked for a Switzerland, a Swiss-based firm. 
Um, and then I worked for a very large global uh, firm. And within all of those firms, I held various seats, but always very close to the investors, whether it was portfolio management, transaction sourcing, pure capital raising. It was a great way for me to learn how investors think across the world and how to explain what's going on in a particular property type, how to learn the regulatory requirements across the board, across different geographies. How do you structure around various tax implications or tax issues uh, that are important to specific investors? Not tax evasion, but you have to structure to accommodate the needs of the specific investors. How do you negotiate legal documents? Those are all things, all skill sets that I picked up throughout all these roles within real estate. And now in the seat that I sit in, I'm utilizing all of those skill sets. And it's, it's incredible to see the culmination of all of those various skills in this one toolbox that I'm constantly relying on and pulling from and drawing from in my seat now. That's awesome. And that's, that's great that you're able to put them all together. Now, talking about those skill sets, you mentioned several of them. Now, which one of those would you say is most important to be successful in your line of business? Wow. <laughs> I think probably the most important in the seat that I have right now is your interpersonal skills. Mm. You have to be able to relate to various types of people whom you may not have anything in common with, like literally nothing in common with. So you have to figure that out. Your job is to get the other person to a position where they're comfortable enough to talk to you about what their problem is because no one from my firm can solve their problem if we don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. You gotta have really good emotional intelligence that feeds into the interpersonal skills. You have to have intellectual curiosity because you don't know what you don't know. And so you have to have humility. You have to listen to what the other person is saying. And then you have to go get smart on that particular topic. There's so many things I didn't know when the client is actually telling me them for the first time, but you can better believe the next time I hear it, I'm going to know tons more about it. Okay. And so you sit there and say, I don't know, that's someone else's job. It's your job to, you need to be intellectually curious to go seek out the information, retain that information and be in a position where you can leverage it when you're in the seat again. And you have to be a problem solver. I mean, this job is all about problems. You're blocking and tackling constantly. And so you have to be able to solve problems. You have to be able to deliver either very complicated information or difficult messages effectively because you're kind of in that seat where there may be something that went awry in one of your investments but you are the liaison to the client so it's your job to then go communicate that message to the client in a very transparent way an honest way but in a delicate way because you don't want to piss them off right, right. so it's, it's constantly balancing all of these, what I call psychological skills that to me are just very intriguing because you're not just living in the nuts and bolts of the analysis and the finance, but you're then transitioning that to a digestible way that another person, another human being can understand it. At the end of the day, there's a lot of passion behind this because what we're doing has a direct correlation to how someone can live when they retire when they're no longer in a position when they're working. So these decisions are critical because they actually affect people's lives. Yeah, no, definitely that's a great way to put it. And okay, I like that, the uh, interpersonal skills, emotional intelligence, problem solving. Now, can you talk about a typical day of yours, what that looks like? <laughs> I went for a typical day, and I'm sure a lot of jobs that are very dynamic. I would say that this one is incredibly dynamic because 
there are days where, because my primary responsibility is to go out and source new business. So a lot of it is prospecting and you have to make it happen. I should have said that as another key skill in this role. You have to be able to take initiative. Some firms, maybe people will call you and say, I want to invest in your product. That's not typically how it works. You have to go out and seek people who might have an interest in what you're doing. You have to go to conferences. You have to be very thoughtful, research different articles that prospective clients may have written, have thoughtful content about them. You read their performance reports, go to their website, see where they might be having issues. You have to know your space incredibly well to understand what potential regulatory changes are coming down the pipe. If you can be a source of information to someone, they are much more inclined to answer your calls or respond to your emails because they're getting something in exchange for you discussing what you have to offer as well. This is all about long-term relationship building. So any given day I'm doing that or some days I'm waking up and I'm trying to put out fires because a lot of the clients that we work with have highly politicized roles where they're under a microscopic lens all of the time. And so they can't be in a situation where they have headline risk, where they wake up in the morning and they see something about a manager that they've invested in that's going to cause a lot of damage internally because it affects their beneficiaries in a very negative way. So you constantly have to be forward thinking, use your judgment, and anticipating potential problems and getting ahead of those problems so that no one is blindsided by anything that we're doing. So that's some of the days. And then there are other days when I'm getting ready for a straightforward pitch of some sort where someone has indicated that they have interest and I'm prepping my investment team about what the potential hurdles might be and how we need to address specific issues that may have been brought to my attention prior to the meeting. So getting the team prepared for how to address those questions, um, but then getting prepared for potential board meetings. And a lot of these could be public board meetings that are recorded. So you have to prep for any and everything because a lot of the people who are on these boards who participate in the meetings may have heard a soundbite about something that's not even related to your specific firm, but could be related to real estate. Um, and so you have to be prepared to address that concern. You have to be able to do it in a human way because maybe they don't understand exactly what they've heard, but you can't address it in a derogatory way. It may be completely irrelevant, but you can't say that to another human being. You have to be able to be empathetic and understand why they're asking the question and get them comfortable with that question. So that kind of preparation takes a really long time because sometimes you have no idea <laughs> what question you're going to get. So you're spending tons of time prepping for maybe a 15 minute presentation. I joke and say sometimes it feels like the presidential debates or something, but I'm sure they have a much better preparation strategy than I do for, for my board meetings. So, and then pre COVID, <laughs> There's a lot of time of my day spent in airports, uh, right. delayed flights, delayed trains, things of that nature. So I guess I can be grateful that that's not the case right now. <laughs> right. Okay. Wow. So now with all this, then what, what do your hours look like? And in addition to that, is, is part of it also entertainment or dinners with clients or potential clients? Yes. Yes. And it's, it's odd that I've somehow completely forgotten about that part. <laughs> I enjoy the most. I really, I really love people. I love meeting with people. I love having fun, finding a way to engage with something, figuring out 
what this person's interests are and figuring out how to engage in that kind of situation. So there are a lot of times, pre-COVID obviously, where you're going to conferences, you're going to dinners, you can be creative. It's an industry, real estate, commercial real estate, heavily dominated by males, but you know, there are a lot of women too. And so I figured out ways, uh, particularly women who are moms, uh, we can go get a manicure and have a meeting over a manicure. And that has been <laughs> incredible because you kind of kill two birds with one stone, <laughs> which, is, which is fantastic. And, and a lot of my female clients who I've done that with have been incredibly grateful because we're still getting our work done. And it's a lot more productive than going out and grabbing a glass of wine, although we still like the wine <laughs> and some can have the wine and the manicure. So you can be very creative in figuring out how to connect with people but then again, you have to be really careful because certain types of clients have a lot of restrictions around what types of entertainment or gifts they can receive. Because what you never want to do is to be seen as a kind of a pay-to-play. Why right. are you dining someone try to convince them to invest in your funds? That's not what we're doing. What we're doing is trying to establish a relationship, build a relationship, and understand all of the nuances around what someone is trying to achieve in the portfolio. Because it's definitely a person-to-person business. We'll see how that evolves over time. But in terms of the hours questions, there's no typical set hours. Right. You know, during the day, you're calling folks when they're in the office. Um, you're having meetings in a normal world. But a lot of the time, you're stuck in airports, unfortunately. You're driving around in a small town in a rental car and Maybe there are only one or two flights outside of that city. And so if you miss one of the flights, you're in that city. And then again, right. that's where it's great to have an incredible network because I had the opportunity to meet with classmates in Jackson, Mississippi once randomly. We we're in the same place where what would have been a very lonely, boring night. You can go <laughs> have a meal with someone. And because I'm a person, that is, that's fantastic. Uh, so you can be working late. You can be stuck in airports. I rarely work on the weekends, which is nice, particularly having a young child, unless I'm traveling or unless I'm doing some of this crazy board prep. But that's not necessarily the case. We're not getting on conference calls and things of nature on the weekend, but that's specific to the firm that you're working with and you have to understand the culture. By definition, you typically shouldn't have to do that, but it really depends on what you're working on at a particular time. Okay. And now... You mentioned the compliance and tax and government regulations. Now, how do you stay on top of all that? Is there training at your job or what are you doing to stay on top of all that? Um, no, there's no training for that specifically within my firm. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that your skill set is sought after when you go to, I work for a boutique firm. Mm. So there are people who understand the requirements, definitely. We work with outside counsel. We have our own internal tax team. They clearly understand these things. Mm -hmm. But as you expand into new geographies, you have to go to those geographies to understand the implications around the specific investor that you're talking to. In a lot of cases, you can read up on a lot of briefs that various legal things write on certain topics. You can meet with specific lawyers, but it's constantly reading. It's researching, but it's actually having done it too in your prior roles. Right helpful. Having had that experience and then bringing it to another place where they haven't actually done it before is one of your value adds in this seat as mm. well. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay. Now, can you talk about what you love about what you do? Yeah, I talked about it a little bit. I really love 
real estate as an asset class, it's tangible. I mean, we all see, touch, and feel, live, work, and play in real estate. So my earlier days before I transitioned into real estate, when I was working on companies, that's hard to explain to your friends. I'm working till 2 or 3 a.m. on this IPO for an insurance company. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? Whereas when you're working on investing or finding the financing for a hotel that's downtown on a street, you can actually go drive by there and say, this is what's keeping me up at night. This is what I'm working. And there's just a much more tangible level of appreciation when you're talking about it because it's a fun asset class. The personalities in the real estate business are amazing. There's so many personalities for better or for worse. I really like the people. It's a pretty small industry. So everyone kind of knows each other, which is nice. So that's one aspect of what I like about the real estate space in general, even though I've held various hats within this space over the last 15 or so years, not including business school. I love meeting new people. I'm a pretty outgoing person. So it's fun. When I walk into a conference with a thousand people, I'm sitting there thinking, I have no idea who I'm going to meet and what it's going to turn into. And that, that thrill of the chase, the hunt, whatever you want to call it, mm. I love it. I, I love it because some people who I never would have imagined in a million years have become, you know, great clients and prospective clients who I can call at any time across the world. And it's, it's so, it's just so interesting and amazing to me. I really, really enjoy, I enjoy that. And, you know, lastly, Unfortunately, you know, my mom, my mother was a public school teacher, so I have a deep appreciation for what we're trying to do in the grand scheme of things. You know, she's passed away, so she didn't live through her retirement, but she was one of those people whom I heard my entire life talking about when she would retire and her pension. And I understood what that meant, how much she was relying on that to provide her ability to live and raise her daughters once she would retire. So I have a, a great appreciation for what we're trying to help the investment staff of these plans achieve. And so, you know, sounds a little cheesy, but that means a lot to me. I, I get it. It's, it's really important. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to hear that, but I, I definitely see that perspective from you. And it's great to, to hear your passion for real estate and for what you do and just loving what you do. Thanks. Yeah. Now, uh, on the flip side, I, I know with COVID, especially in your in your field, you, you know, where you're normally traveling and meeting with clients, um, that could be an, a challenge. So what other challenges or obstacles are out there for you? Well, right now, we're just in a period of heightened uncertainty. And, you know, there are many people who claim to be prognosticators and they claim that they know exactly what's going to happen. And then they're rewarded for it mm -hmm. when it plays out and their investments actually follow the thesis and the view that they established on the front end. But I think that's really, really difficult to do right now because we just don't know. And mm -hmm. a lot of people are opining and they say what they think they're going to do, but they don't really know. And when you're in the seat that I have, you have to go in a straight face, you know, with a straight face and tell your clients, you really don't know. This is what we think, but we don't actually know. Yeah. And you take a view because all you have in this seat is your trust and your reputation with your clients. Mm -hmm. And so you have to figure out how to communicate that transparency, but you also have to give some convictions and some clarity around what they're investing in. And it's a delicate balance. Whereas, like I said, moving into the debt position, you're technically 
and theoretically in a more protected position within the capital stack. So even if things go wrong, you have a lot more room with the equity behind you. But in a period like today, we just don't know. And so you're going out on a limb telling someone something you believe you can promise, but it keeps me up at night because I don't yeah. know all going to play out. And there are people who have invested in our strategies, thinking and viewing that we're going to achieve what we say. And we do plan to accomplish that, but, but we don't know. And so I do worry about that. Right. Uh, and it's hard to do that right now. I think that's the biggest thing. I think also, you know, I cover Europe. <laughs> I cover Australia. Neither place I can go to right now. Right. And I don't think I'll be able to go there. And with various cultural barriers, it's very difficult to have a conversation like you and I are having over Zoom um, when someone is in another country. I think if this lasts for a prolonged period of time, investors will get more comfortable doing their diligence sessions via video conferencing, et cetera. But it's not something that is the norm right now. And I do not see, unless it's a group that I've known for a long time who's met our investment team in the past, I don't see a scenario where there's, those groups are going to get across the finish line and make an actual commitment without being able to come over and kick the tires and see our assets right. person have those dinners because those conversations over dinner, that's where you learn who a person really is. Yeah. And you just, do I really trust this person with our capital? At the end of the day, that's what people are trying to decide. And it's really hard to make that assessment via technology. Right. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a huge challenge right now. All right. So can you talk about one of your most memorable moments in your career? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> there's many from sad to incredibly happy to embarrassing. I'll go embarrassing that turned to happy. Okay. Um, with my internship during business school, I, like I said, I never lived in Europe. And that's something I would encourage everyone to do. Travel abroad early if you can, if you have the opportunity. And so I landed what I thought was my dream internship with a real estate developer who worked in high-end fashion retail outlet centers across Western Europe. And they wanted me to help develop strategies to implement you know, renewable energy developments across these centers. Mm. Everything I love, all in one internship. And I showed up for one of my first trips in Italy and never in the interview process did I ever say that I understood or spoke Italian, but this entire meeting took place with all of these officials, real estate developers, contractors, and my then boss in Italian. All the documents were in Italian, all of the presentations were in Italian. And I'm sitting there just, I have no idea what's going on. And at the end of it, you know, I'm walking back and my boss was like, oh, I'd like a summary by tomorrow. And I'm freaking out. I literally am having a heart attack. I go to the office in Saravalli, which is right outside of Milan. I turn on Excel because I'm like, okay, there's a financial statement in here. I can at least build some kind of discounted cash flow model and try to come up with some valuation based on just numbers. But then I open up the computer and it's the Italian version of Excel. So it doesn't even work. <laughs> and I don't even understand how to utilize the software because it's in a totally different language. And I was just literally panicking. And I called one of my really good friends who's Italian, who was in my section, walked her through it, explained her, showed the document of what I was trying to do. And she was incredibly helpful to the point where I was able to at least build kind of like a summary wow. of what I thought was happening. 
And the next day I provided it to my boss and it was almost like he had seen a ghost. He <laughs> that I came up with something. I don't even know if he read it, but the level of respect that he had in that moment that I like tried to figure it out, even though it was probably a horrible <laughs> answer was a test. And I think that was a big lesson for me that I've taken throughout my career is people will challenge you. People will test you because they want to see what you're made of. And that's a reason why people in real estate are incredibly passionate. When they see that you love real estate and you're going to try, you're going to be resourceful, you'll figure something out. It's an incredibly creative industry. We're building something out of nothing. And I had to build something out of nothing. And maybe it wasn't great, but I built something. Yeah. And and it was a it, it was very memorable to me because I thought I was going to have a heart attack, but I also <laughs> that I'm resourceful and I can figure things out. And I ended up having a great rest of the internship with him. That's great. That's a good story, and it shows that you are very resourceful, intuitive, proactive, all of it. So that's good. But I, I thought like I was going to die. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't understand what they're talking about. <laughs> that is funny. So, hey, Angela, we're at the end of this interview. I want to ask you some quick hitter questions for fun for people to get to know you a little bit better. Yes. But before we do that, I want to see if there's anything else that you would like to discuss or if you feel like there's anything I, I left off asking you. Um, see, no, I think you, I think you covered the basis. I think, you know, what I will say is I, I didn't know about this world, so I think it's fantastic that you're doing this. And I just tried a bunch of different things and that's what I would encourage people to do if you find an industry that you really love try a bunch of hats which is what I did mm -hmm. and it's made me much more effective in the seat that I hold now and who knows what it'll be in the next iteration next five or ten years but I do love this space a lot that's great all right so let's jump into these quick hitter questions okay first question what's your favorite sports team um, I will say any of the Texas teams, right. but Longhorns, definitely. All right. Hook them. You hook them. <laughs> Second, favorite movie or show? So anyone who knows me knows I was a Game of Thrones fanatic. Mm. Obsessed though. Absolutely loved it. I was disappointed with the finale, but by far, I've never been so engaged in a TV show before, so I would have to say Game of Thrones. Yes. Did you read the book also? The books? I did it. I did it. Yeah. And normally that, but I didn't want to mess up my experience with the show. <laughs> oh, okay. Favorite musical artist or group? Uh, as a fellow Houstonian, I have to say Beyonce and happy birthday to her, but oh. definitely Beyonce. Okay. Favorite vacation spot? I think a tie between Cape Town and South Africa, just mm. incredibly gorgeous, amazing people, or anywhere in Italy, which is ironic having right. that but love that country as well. Yeah, I love Italy. All right, and favorite food or drink? Anything Tex-Mex. Huh? And drink uh, spicy margaritas. Mm. I'm like a Texan through and through. <laughs> <laughs> I see it. <laughs> well, Angela, this has been great. Very informative. Learned a lot about your world and just love your passion for what you do. And you can really tell that you're good at what you do. So thanks for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Rodolfo. I really appreciate that. No, nah, no problem at all. Oh, and before we go, is there any way that people can contact you if they have any questions, LinkedIn, IG, anything? 
Sure. I'm on LinkedIn and the link is just linkedin.com slash n slash Angela dash Johnson dash one five six one one B six slash. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.